0: Welcome to Life After Business, the podcast where your host, Ryan Tansom, brings you all the information you need to exit your company and explore what life can be like on the other side. Welcome back to the Life After Business Podcast. This is episode 108. If you're like everybody else, you've sat down in front of an insurance agent and you've heard everything from term insurance to permanent insurance to whole life to universal life to key man to disability to long-term care, all of these products and stuff just get jammed down our throats and we have no context of what does it mean and why. Well, that is why I'm super excited for today's episode because Chris Steffel from MVP Service Solutions is on the show today. I've always been hesitant to have anybody from insurance and the insurance space on my show because everybody's got their own angle of why they're doing it. And the reason I was able to have Chris on and I was comfortable with it is because Chris has a very unique background and structure for his company. He is a wholesaler, so he has Thousands of reps that he helps go out almost like a manufacturer wholesaler, but he doesn't, he reps about a thousand different products and a hundred different carriers. And he brings his expertise and analysts to other reps, whether it's PNC reps or other financial advisors, wealth advisors, to bring the expertise to them. And the reality is, is Chris has all of the different exposure of what products and what situations have yielded good results or bad results because of the sheer quantity of deals that come through him. And the purpose of today's interview was to give context to you, the business owner, what role does insurance play as you're planning your different exit options, whether it's a third party sale, your family transition, your estate plan, keeping your key employees locked in and making sure that they have the same motives as you do, whether it's the third party, their family transition, how do your key employees play a role in your plan B, even if you're trying to plan for a third party transition, and then what are the different table stakes that are absolutely necessary to keep your business a Float. should death, disability, or dispute, or any of these different things happen. Because the whole goal is you took all the risk to start the business, to grow it, Make sure it's stable and make sure that everybody is marching in line with where you want to go and what are the things to think about to make sure you know where you want to go because all these products and services should be falling in line with your ultimate vision. So if you don't know your ultimate vision, then everybody's going to have a challenge behind the scenes. So I really hope you enjoy this episode with Chris and I hope that you come away with lots of things to think about, making sure that you know where you want to go and why and how all these different things fit into it. So without further ado, here's Chris Steffel. This episode of Life After Business is sponsored by GEXP Collaborative. Their proven process gives you clarity on all of your exit options and how those options impact your financial success, timing, and future happiness. Sell your company on your time frame to the buyer of your choice at the price you want. Good morning, Chris. How are you doing? I'm doing great, Ryan. I'm glad uh, we finally got you on the show. You and I have known each other for many years. Um, I think it was, what? three and a half years ago when you were like hey how you should get into this exit planning stuff and I'm like okay and uh, you and I had uh, had talked about both of our past the family businesses and uh, not like you had just pushed me into it but it was one of the it was definitely one of the voices that was like you had been in the industry for a long time and you'd saw that there was it was validating that there's all these gaps that have been in there and all these people working in silos but you know for the the listeners who don't know your background which I think is a unique one of where sure. you came from and then also specifically how your business operates because you've you've got a unique perspective on the industry and your, your expertise, but why don't you just kind of, you know, how did you jump into the finance industry and then how did you, and you know, what's your structure right now?
1: Sure, absolutely. So started in the business, actually uh, grew up in it. Uh, my father was a wholesaler for an insurance company for about 30 plus years, was both on the uh, security side and on the insurance side. So Knew I wanted to be in the business, um, really enjoyed even doing, working with them a little bit, um, in high school. And then, uh, in college, uh, ended up interning with RVC Dane Rousher doing the managed money side of the business. So more from the investment, uh, side and, uh, had the, went through the 9-11 period of time, which was, uh, a very interesting time to kind of start the business in, but learned a lot, you know, from that space. And uh, a little bit after I'd been in there for probably about two or three years, my dad actually approached me about uh, starting a life insurance, long-term care DI and annuity wholesale uh, organization. He had been wholesaling for you know a number of years. And what we saw was an opportunity to be able to work with advisors, financial advisors, uh, independent insurance agents, and basically providing them advanced sales techniques and helping with their business owners. On the insurance side, uh, so fast track about uh, seventeen years forward. Here now, we've got uh, a little bit over a couple thousand plus reps that we work with in all different walks of life. You know, from the, the small property casualty shop up to um, different broker dealers. So a little mix of um, everything. And it's been the last three or four years have been a, a big change in the insurance market. A lot of it because of succession planning as businesses are are transferring and adjusting. And the other thing, too, is uh, the LTC space has changed a ton um, also. And, you know, one of the areas, too, that we're focused on is uh, the key man plan and the executive bonus. Those are two big areas. So right now, our, you know, our business pretty much on a daily basis is working with uh, investment advisors and financial advisors and insurance agents, basically, on kind of the advanced sales and uh, the life insurance from there.
0: One well, what was what's really cool for the listeners here, everybody, is that I, there's so many people that I think that have had bad experiences with insurance agents or different products that were jammed on their throat. And you know honestly, like you know Chris, you you know that it took me a long time to really get bought into kind of your approach because I've had my own experiences. And you know there's a lot of, which is the kind of the premise of today's call and the interview is, understanding where the right tools and mechanisms can be put into a holistic plan of where you're going but you know in it, it took me a long time to get bought in but with your model you're not going directly to the client because you're filling maybe a little maybe a lay, layer deeper for the for the audiences you're getting you're giving the expertise and you're helping commercial pnc reps all these different agents fill in gaps and knowledge uh, knowledge gaps that they currently have correct
1: Exactly. No, that's, that's exactly the fit. I mean, a lot of them have, uh, different relationships or, um, work with different business owners on it. But the problem is, is a lot of times they're only working on maybe four or five deals a year. And what we basically come behind is we get to see it from a, you know, a massive standpoint. So, I mean, we're working with those 2000 plus agents. So it's not unusual for us, you know, in a week to see multiple buy sell agreements. So we get to see the good things, the bad things, what to watch for, what suggestions we can make you know, if old plans are, are still going to be there down the road, if we need to make adjustments.
0: Well, And and you're not, you're not selling one, sp- one specific product, which I think is also a huge thing because there's a lot of people that they jam, you know, every, everything's a nail cause they have a hammer.
1: No, you're exactly right. I mean, I think that's the one thing is we've got about a hundred carriers we work with and you know, everything fits in a specific thing. And out of those hundred carriers, there's probably, you know, a thousand plus products. So it's really just trying to find what, what works best for that that client or that situation, and, and really even bringing you know four or five different concepts to them to see what personally works for them, because uh, you know a lot of a lot of people have different views on where they're going with their businesses and how they're exiting, and even if there's a key person within the company that they're concerned about if something was to happen to them.
0: So before we kind of kick into the whole like life cycle the pre, during and post exit where insurance fits in the different kind of areas and that we're not going to get rid of, really into products or anything like that today but what are some of the things let's talk about the table stakes you know if you were to sit down with a business owner and you you were to look and make sure that they're protected so that way they're not going to lose their company like overnight because they haven't gotten something set up and i think that kind of tees into like what's the What what are the disasters that you see when you just look at without the exit plan in mind? Just going okay, you're an owner with tons of stuff, buildings and employees and liabilities everywhere. What are the what are the table stakes and what are the biggest things that you see as um, failures and gaps when you normally look at these things?
1: I think one of the biggest things we see is the buy sell agreements not being funded. Um, You know, after being around the business for you know 20 plus years, we've been had situations where partners have passed away or became disabled. And it can be stressful from both sides of the family. And if you're losing that, that key person or that key business owner and there's not insurance in place to, you know, offset it, the business usually suffers and a lot of times will close, um, quickly. And so that's one of the biggest things we're looking at is trying to make sure that if something happens from a disability standpoint or if one of the partners, uh, pass away, that there's enough money to buy out that partner or to keep the business going. And, you know, that's where the key man can kind of come into play, not just on the owners, but even on, um, on the employees. And that's probably the other big aspect of it is, you know, every time we sit down with a company, one of the things I always ask is, you know, other than the owners of the company, what is the one key person if you lost them, what would happen to the business? And it's amazing who they usually say. You would think it'd be like a lot of times like the top sales guy or, you know, somebody that specifically is back in manufacturing, running the whole thing, a lot of times it, you know, might be Mary in the office that's been there for 20 years doing the accounting. And the owner will look at it and say, if I lost her, this whole thing would just fall apart. And <laughs> so, usually they probably you know, don't know it either. Huh? <laughs> well, I mean, the funny thing is, is until you really bring it up, they don't, they don't see it, you know, and then you bring it up and it's almost like, a lot of times they'll see like the white go over their face. Like as we start talking about it and they just, they start to think about it and they're like, wow, you know, if, if we lost that person. And I mean, I, you know, I own the the company with my parents, you know, we've had it for a number of years and, you know, Ryan, if you ask me that question right now, I would put it towards uh, Cindy, which is my mother. You know, she does all of her books. That's, that's what keeps me up at night. It's not about growing the business. It's not about, you know, working with the reps or the salespeople that we have. It's at the end of the day, my biggest concern is, is if we lost her and we didn't have the right things in place, you know, the company, we'd be in pretty, you know, pretty big trouble right off that part. So that's the thing we're always trying to figure out or solve for. When we're looking at this,
0: well, and I think let's take this a couple layers deep because I think there's a lot of things that people do incorrectly with their buy cells, and again, you have to have the attorney that's involved in it, along with the insurance rep, and understanding like what roles they play. So that you know, from the partnership standpoint and the ownership standpoint how do you determine how much you should be funding? What are the mechanisms to do it? And this is in, not even in like, you know, we're just talking baseline without exit in mind, but I think there's a lot of creative ways that we can expand on this and how that ties to the ultimate plan. But you know, what are the, what are the things that you just have to have and like, how do you determine what is funded? And you know, in line of that too what is the key what is the buy sell and the insurance what are the what is it actually accounting for other than death because i know you and i've had some conversation about how the key man's different the disability versus the death versus departure all these different things sure absolutely
1: so kind of each part of it um so on the on the buy sell maybe from a funding standpoint what we're trying to do is usually if something was to happen uh, to one of the partners be able to cover at least their portion of it and a lot of times we're able to get the full amount of insurance to be able to cover that amount so cover, value, the big really. that we, cover the value yep yep sorry yep cover the value of the business correct is what we're we're usually looking for and depending on the age of the clients and how much ownership they have sometimes we'll limit the amount we can get so that's one reason we always say it should be looked at every couple of years and be added to or adjusted because obviously valuations are changing of the company and uh, ownership, you know, changes from time to time. So we're always kind of looking at that, trying to figure out what is uh, what's going to be the best value or the amount of insurance we need to get. Sometimes it's just getting enough to cover it, so that if something was to happen, at least they would be able to get funding to help buy that off by the bank, possibly, or by taking a loan out um, from there. So that's usually on the buy sell um, parts of it.
0: Well, and then Um, even even Chris, like, so that's covering the value. And I think what a lot of listeners struggle with is they're, they're a huge role in the business too, right? So like, okay, great. So my, let's say my company's worth 10 million bucks and I've got a partner that's 40%. So I've got 6 million bucks that should be coming my way for my, to my family. Should I die? That's like the worst case scenario, but usually they're pulling a lot of weight to actually continue maintaining that value. So the valuation and all the other stuff to keep the business flowing is also different.
1: No, that's, yeah, absolutely. You're, you're 100% right. So, I mean, that's where the key man can kind of come into play then at that point, because if we were to lose that person also, it's not just about the valuation for the business, but so also would be about, the
0: plus the key man is what you're saying.
1: Yep, exactly. Yep. So you want to be looking at, you know, adding that key man policy in, which is really more about keeping the business running. So not mm-hmm. only is it to, to buy off the other partner, and obviously that would free up then the income that that person was taking, but also, the key man can be used to basically offset what that, that business owner was doing for that business. So, you know, a lot of times what you'll find when we go through these situations and we have over the last, you know, 20 years is that, you know, somebody that maybe is pulling an income of $150,000, $200,000 a year to replace what they're doing is going to cost three times that amount. Right. So, we've been through a number of those situations where we've lost, you know, one of the two partners or even... We had a situation where we lost the husband and the wife stepped in to take over the business and you know they were looking at originally that it was only gonna you know be basically his income to replace it. And when everything kinda
0: got crunched down and looked at it, it was almost three times the amount. Because it was three very specialized people yeah well you got recruiting costs then you have time downtime of whatever you know the opportunity cost of what you lost from the the downtime and then you've got the ability to probably have three additional people I'm assuming that wife may or may not have been making money outside of the business so I mean you start to crunch those numbers and it's a lot more than people probably think
1: it is it always is I mean especially those first couple of years and that that situation I'm talking about happened probably about six or seven years ago and, you know, the one thing that was done was the buy sell was put in place. There was insurance on, um, on the husband. And then, in addition to that, um, the, the rep that I was working with, we talked him into basically a larger key man plan. And, you know, the key man plan in that situation was about two or three million bucks. And I still remember going back to that and the client saying, you know, I don't know if I need the full amount. And we really hit on the fact that it's going to take a lot of manpower to, to be able to keep this thing going and uh you know sure enough uh, down the road he passed away and that that extra 2 to 3 million i mean that's what kept the business basically afloat and you know once we got past those first two or three years and we got everything kind of back into position the kids came into the business um we were actually able to get everything kind of back to where it was um because of that but it did take that influx one of the biggest things that we saw was Immediately after he had passed away, we had a number of clients that actually ended up leaving um, the business. Mm-hmm. So they instantly lost uh, probably 30 or 40% of their business. Oh my God. And um, yeah, after a year, they were able to bring back almost all those customers because the customers looked at it and saw that the business was going to continue. But when you know, he was the main breadwinner, I mean, he was the, the main one running the business, doing everything behind the scenes. And so when he was gone, you know, they instantly went to the competition. Mm-hmm. So that's that was what was interesting with the whole thing is that if they didn't have that key man plan in place to kind of keep the business running, they would have never gotten through that that year to to be able to retain or bring back those uh, the clients that they lost. So
0: well, and so now you so I think there's layers behind here, and then I want to come back to like the, the the mechanisms that are used to do this because of all the different variables of people and their health and all that stuff. But and then. The taxes. So, but before we do that, you and I had this interesting conversation about like even if, if it's not death, it's disability. You know, explain to the listeners how a key man is potentially different from the disability. And I, I might have this wrong, but the they're, they're, the reality is that. You, if you become disabled, so let's say that let's say that individual actually was alive, but still wasn't able to do all that stuff, so there would have been no insurance triggers, right? So there, you still have the breadwinner, you still have the value of the business tied to that person, but now they're for some reason sitting in a hospital for years. You know how does the key man versus disability and keeping the business cash flowing correctly using insurance? How does that tie into this? You, you, you remember the question? I was uh, the conversation. Yep, there?
1: absolutely. Yep, yep. So with with disability um, and. And honestly, statistically, there's a much better chance of you know from a disability standpoint early on in life. And so, when we look at the DI type situations, um, you've got the key man DI. So if somebody becomes disabled, um, a lot of times they'll still be on with the company, both as an employee or as as an owner of the business, but not producing or helping the business out. So the disability plan then pays to the company to be able to be used to hire a short term worker or kind of replace what that that individual is doing. So. You know, Keyman DI is a is a major major product that can come into play to be able to keep that business alive, especially if that individual is going to be coming back, you know, back to work. So we see that done quite a bit. The other thing too is the the DI buyout. So if you've got multiple partners involved with the business and somebody becomes disabled, a lot of the you know uh, templates that are put together for fly sell agreements basically force out an individual after a year of being disabled. And the fact is, is when you look at the disability market, a lot of people do come back or recover or at least can do a good portion of their job even after a year. So when we talk about, you know, basically key man DI um, or DI buyout, a lot of times we'll recognize as we look through the agreements that that's not what they want to accomplish. They really are looking for the fact they're trying to stay on with the company as long. But a lot of times their agreements, when we review them, push them out after a year. And I think that's the one thing that if owners really look at and don't realize that even their agreements basically do this. So I think that disability is a really important thing to be reviewing.
0: Well, and then, and then that all ties back to the buy-sell agreement and, and also in your buy-sell agreement, how you have determined that you're valuing that business, right? Because if they're going to get forced out, I'm just, you have to have it in your agreement that this is what I'm going to be, in worst case scenario that you had that whole situation happen, but you have to have, okay, how are we going to value the business and how are the partners going to pay me? That's exactly right. I mean, that's, and, and that's really, that's
1: why it's so important as, uh, as the insurance agent is working with the company that the attorney that is drafting the buy sell, everybody's on the same page on what they want to see accomplished. We can make everything work together. And it, it's great to have these conversations because it's, it, you know, when you go through the situation, um, where there's a disability, I think, and they look at the language, a lot of times it's not what they're trying to accomplish or want to accomplish. And a lot of times it'll force, you know, force a situation they don't want to see happen. And then obviously, as you move to the next generation, it can make a big difference as you're introducing, you know, spouses and other family members, um, you know, farther and farther out. You want to be able to figure out ways to buy out possibly that that child that's going to be inheriting the business and that has already inherited part of the business. So that's one thing. We're always trying to look multiple layers down of where the business is actually
0: headed. Well, and I think it's, you know, it, it, it alludes to the, like, the- how screwed up this can be if you just have—I mean, so many people just say, like, "Oh, they just sign their buy sell agreement." Oh, they just get their insurance—you know—products. But like, where are you going and why? What's going to happen? And I right. mean, it's a huge, huge jigsaw puzzle. You know, with the different things that are are used to do the the funding for the buy sell agreements and the key man disability insurance and the DI buyouts. You know, what are the products that you're that you're seeing up and down the streets that you're helping fill in the gaps is it uh term life insurance are there wholesale products what are the different things that are helping and what are the variables that will dictate what you should be using and why
1: so the one great thing about term insurance and we see a lot of it go to term is that we're able to get a very large number of insurance um for usually a you know a 20-year or 30-year period of time and it's it's not expensive so especially when a company's starting out or fairly new we'll see them lean towards that term side of the business. As the company starts to grow and build and they start looking at eventually selling the business and where it may be headed to, that's where we can start looking at putting in possibly permanent policies. And there are some unique strategies that you can do with the insurance uh, to be able to build cash that are actually cash on the books. And there's also some retention programs that you can do where the company actually owns the policy. And then can distribute the funds at retirement
0: so there's there's some unique strategies and products and you do a very good job of a lot of all the a lot of insurance reps and people that i in the in the insurance world that i know they just go straight into the the complicated stuff and you always do a very good job of explaining it in terms of what what people understand and why and so let's go back to the permanent insurance because what i want to what i want to do chris is what you just described there's a lot of diff- different layers there of the what is the permanent insurance what are the different types what are they trying to accomplish right so like a lot of these people buy wholesale products or they buy this and there's the death benefit and the cash benefit and they have no idea why they're doing it and they they may they probably don't need it so the term insurance is just a flat huge lump sum you know so like i think i've got 2 or 3 million on myself for like 8 yeah. Eight hundred bucks a year, right? So it's like that. that Super but, cheap, right? I mean, for what it is, Absolutely. especially with my age and stuff like that. But so when the permanent insurance, I think if people, you know, there's high commission, so a lot of reps jam that stuff down people's throat without looking at the big picture. So it doesn't even solve any of the problems. But maybe can you explain what is permanent insurance, and then let's go like into the different applications of that. On is it on the key man? Is it on the? Is it on the uh, business? Who's paying for it? Who gets the benefit? And then what is the ultimate goal that it's trying to accomplish? So the permanent insurance has changed a lot
1: over the last, I'd say, the last 20 so years. Um, you have obviously have a whole life policy, which is a permanent plan that is paid with dividends. Probably the oldest plans going back. And then it moved into basically variable universal life, which was tied to the market, and index life. So those are more the, the variable type products. But what happened basically around about 2001 or 2002 is we basically had a product that came out called uh, Guaranteed Universal Life. And not to get into great depth, but what basically what it looked like is it was a permanent plan that was guaranteed for life. And with the idea that it wouldn't build much cash value, but more just what is the minimum premium I need to pay to basically guarantee this policy all the way out. So... Oftentimes, when we're just looking at purely a death benefit type situation, but we want it longer than the term, which is very important when we start talking about, you know, selling a business down the line and having insurance still in place. These products have become a lot more popular, and this is where we see a lot of a lot of products moving towards. It keeps costs down and allows that that permanent to be in place, um, you know, for a long time. And so that's one area that we're seeing that permanent space uh, build up. The other area is in building cash value on these products um, more for uh, retirement planning, more for the ability to build it at the company and utilize it basically as like a deferred comp type plan on key people. That's one thing we've seen a lot of lately is we've got individuals they're trying to keep at the business and so what they're using the cash value or the insurance for is the ability for the company to build cash for that individual and be able to distribute it out at retirement. Um, and there are some tax advantages um, of being able to do that for the individual and for the business, just depending on how you want to structure it or how you want to set it up. And that can be for the business owner and it can be for the individuals too. So there's a little bit of mix between all of them,
0: which I want to I want to dive into in a second too. But you know, just to, before we do that, so you, you've you've done a very good job in, in the past of our a relationship of describing the, 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 the couple of different levers that you can pull in insurance of the death benefit versus the cash benefit, depending on what you're trying to accomplish. Right. And how that impacts the sales reps and the commissions. Does it, because I think you know, let's say, you, for example, let's say it was me and my old business, right? So, uh, you know, the company is, as a key man, I had a key man insurance. So they, they had all this stuff funded with term life insurance because everybody can pretty, everybody was healthy. My dad, all of our key employees, everybody was, had funded all the buy, sells the key mans, everything was funded with term because it was just easy and, and great. So therefore the death benefit is accomplished in a lot of these things. So then you, does this make sense as I'm kind of teeing this up? Cause then it goes into, as you get into the permanent, You know what are you trying to accomplish because the death benefit and the cash benefit are variables that can be pulled pushed up or down that will impact the commission but also the 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 purpose of the actual mechanism
1: i think one of the biggest things that you see with with the cash value is deciding which way you're going to go with it so when we're talking about permanent the goal is is we want to have insurance for longer than that term period of time so You know, Ryan, if I'm talking to you and I'm looking at it long term, the term was great. Early on, it covered a big amount for you. But as you grow your businesses and as you move forward, you're going to want to have insurance there for estate planning and down the road. Mm -hmm. And so the question then becomes is, are we going to just use the death benefit just for death benefit alone? And that's where you can find a product that doesn't build any cash value that is going to be guaranteed for life. Or if you're looking at it and saying, I'm looking for another mechanism that I'm able to build cash value on and I can eventually use from a retirement standpoint and at the same time grow the death benefit, there are products out there that you're able to fund. And I think that's the one thing from an industry standpoint that we're always trying to push on big time is if you're going to do that strategy, the second one where we're building it with the idea that we want to build cash value, take it out later on or if we're gonna use it from a key man plan where we're gonna build it and the employee's gonna get that later for retirement, by minimizing the death benefit and maximizing the cash value, right up to the IRS guidelines, we're able to really maximize those policies to create the most cash and to be able to distribute more cash down the line. And those are keys. I mean, those are keys to making these things perform well. If you do it, what we sometimes say down the middle, where we're buying a big death benefit and we're just kind of partially putting money in, they never perform as well as what we want them to do down the line. And I think that's right. that's where they've maybe gotten a negative, um, there's been a negative um, part towards them for a number of years is just they're missold that way. Well,
0: because there's a higher commission if there's a higher death benefit, correct? Correct. Yep, that's correct. Well, and I think, it, 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 which is fine if you need it. But I think what, you know, if you think about the big picture of keeping a business afloat and then also try, trying to drive towards a transition or a transaction, then these mechanisms can be extremely useful. Especially if you're using it in a specific way for a specific reason. So if you have all your terms, so you've got a lot of death benefit, you have the benefit of having more death benefit, but then you're growing cash and you're tying it to a specific outcome. So that's why I want to I want to dive into the key man and how you use this in the deferred comp. So there, you know, you got the four hundred one k's that the benefit, the, the qualified benefits that a lot of people have, but then there's always these individuals who. You know, you and I—I I think you—you you and I have talked about in the traction sensors, the integrators, who are the the COOs or the presidents or the GMs and the whole—you sure. know—the executive level. These people are challenging to keep because they're expensive. You want to lock them in, but the the reality is, a lot of entrepreneurs are like just give them equity and just give them cash. Well, that ha- that doesn't tie their motives to your outcome, which might be family transition or an actual transaction. Can you describe kind of oh. the, the the first uh, broad brushstroke of what is a key man deferred comp and how does insurance play into that? Sure, absolutely.
1: Yeah, there's a couple different structures and ways to set it up, but one of the big ones that we see is the company wants to be able to own and control the money. And so in essence, with the, you know, with the employee, they want the ability to build the cash value up uh, within the policy and distribute it later on. But if that employee was to leave, they wouldn't be able to get those assets. So one of the ways that is unique with the insurance world and this can be through executive bonus plan, um, through supplement executive retirement or split dollar is you're able to basically put money into a policy for that employee. They get to see the funds, they know it's growing, it's building for them. It's a number that will eventually be distributed to them at retirement or it's up to the employer. They can even do it through a vesting schedule. So, you know, every six years they can have access to the money. And there's some unique ways to set that up. But what's unique, I think, especially for these type of plans, is that they don't have to do it for everybody in the company. They can specifically target certain people, and they can decide how much they want to put in. So you can have four employees. One employee may not be offered it at all. One employee might be offered you know, where they're going to put $5,000 a year away for it. Um, another one might be 2000 You can set it up and structure it however you want. And there are companies, insurance companies that will actually manage this behind the scenes depending on what they want to set up or structure. And so especially when we're looking at, you know, even ESOPs down the line, there's the ability to build this cash value that can be used for, you know, different structures and different sales down the line, or just from a retirement standpoint. So it's another it's another way to keep that employee, it's another way to entice them to stay with you and at the same time, it's a way for the employer to control those assets too. So there's a lot of different ways to structure it, but that's one thing we're seeing a ton. We're getting asked constantly, you know, I've got this key employee, um, the competition's coming after them right now. They're trying to, you know, take them to their company. What's the best way for us to retain it without putting a, a really difficult type structure in place?
0: You know what I? You and I have talked about this a lot, and let's let's how about like I just give you an example and we kind of run through it. Like if you were to kind of give some scenarios. So like let's say you got sure. a a, a COO or integrator or you know president who is making two hundred grand, and you know they're, you're trying to keep that person. You don't want to give them a ton of equity, and so I want this person because let's say my outcome is I want I'm striving for. A third party transaction it might be a private equity recapitalization or it might be a strategic sale. You know, the, the, the plan B and, or B and C might be, I might eventually want to sell it to this person if I don't get my ultimate goal, but I don't want to give them sure. much equity, but I want to be able to have that person because the value of your company is greater if you have these people locked in. So that's where the whole stay bonus comes into play. I want this person to make a bunch more money to have a to to lock them in but then to mail it, no matter what outcome I have I'm going to have to have, get them involved in the in the transaction so I want them to stay for probably the immediately but then 6 12 and 18 months after that how do I address that person and then who has the benefit of it is it them is it us and how why why would it be beneficial to do that versus cash so basically the way that You would want to probably structure that situation is you want to control those
1: assets as a company and be able to um let that employee or the ceo know that they're eventually going to get those assets either to be used for the purchase of the business or uh, for retirement planning so what would happen then is um a company what they in one one scenario, what they could do is take, let's say, ten thousand dollars a year and utilize that to buy a life policy. So we're going to sell for the minimum death benefit on that policy, and we're going to put that in to grow basically the max amount of cash value that we can in on it. And that's going to be tied usually to an index or into a, a variable type product. So it's going to be building uh, cash value within that. That money is actually owned by the business. It's looked at as cash on the books. Um, the company can actually. You know go in and take that money or utilize it um but obviously they've got the obligation to pay it for um that employee down the road and so the idea is is then that money grows within that policy through the insurance policy deferred um in some cases they can take to deduction depending on how it's set up or structured at the time of distribution um or if it's structured a different way at the time of putting it together um but that money grows in there and so that uh, employee then Use that or sees that money growing um, down the line that can be used for the you know the purchase of the business um, or it can be used from a distribution standpoint at that point. And that's where the taxes then come into play. Now, if there's a death that does occur, it could be a split dollar type situation where both the employees, uh, beneficiaries would receive part of the death benefit and the company would receive part of the death benefit. Um, in some cases, it can just be the, the company. You can structure it however you want. And I think that's the one thing with these is it becomes very flexible on what we actually want to accomplish. And there's not a great amount of cost to actually manage and put these things together. Um, what's great is a number of the insurance companies have actually come out to say they'll actually manage it and do it for a very small fee per year. Um, and so that's, so that's usually kind of the flow, flow of the money um, on how to structure it or to set it up. Um, you can also do it, at, you know, where it's just an executive bonus. We had uh, a company here just recently that's like, you know, we want to do this every year, but we want them to have full control of money right off the bat. So in that case, um, the policy was actually owned by the executive. And then they were just doing the $10,000 bonus out every year. So this was actually done on a board um, where they were actually saying, we're just going to give the money out. In that case, obviously, the company didn't have control of the assets, but they were funding a a plan uh, for that individual that was growing. Uh, tax defer basically, an insurance
0: plan. Well, and make sure I want to go back to the taxes on some of this stuff and, who, and how the taxes flow into it. But like, so for for some actual numbers, like let's say, so was, let's say it's a two hundred thousand dollar COO that we're tying in. What are some real numbers that people would use? You know, again, hypothetically, like let's call it a ten million dollar business. What are some real numbers that they would use? And what would, what are some real numbers? Let's say it's a seven year ordeal, right? So it grows. And again, you don't have a calculator or a piece of paper in front of you, but like, what are like, is it 50 grand that they've been putting there? What are the benefits of the, can the business write it off? And like, how does that all, how does the money all flow? And then again, that the, the layer on top of that, which you don't have to get into is the the, the actual terms and conditions of when and how they get that. And, I, and the, the structure of it, we can talk about in a sec, but what what is the numbers that you would see and how would the company handle that?
1: You know, it, it all depends on um, how much they're wanting to try to put away and the size of the company. I mean, we've had some situations where um, we've had up to $50,000 a year being put away you know, into the plan. We've had all the way down to... you know, um, we, we just did a construction company here recently where they were putting uh, $2,000 away a year. Um, it really, I think a lot of times comes down to what is, what's a, a number that is going to uh, keep that employer there. What's going to prevent from the competition uh, trying to take them away? That's really what it comes down to at the end of the day, as we discussed through it. So, you know, if you've got somebody making $200,000 a year and we're putting away, you know, $5,000 a year over a five year period of time, I mean, that's probably not going to keep them there. They're they're (laughs) probably going to, you know, just get it from a starting bonus, you know, from being able to move. But if it's a substantial amount of money and kind of one of the rules of thumb that we've seen over the years is if, that number equals their income in six to seven years that's been put away, there's a very good chance it's gonna to be tough for them to move. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's just one thing we've seen from an industry standpoint. So I mean, if they make $100,000 a year, and after six years, they've got close to 100 grand put away in this, it it really reduces the chance of them uh, walking away from it. That mm-hmm. just seems to always be the, the number that we've we've seen over over time on that.
0: I think the benefit from the business owner too is instead of just giving them cash, which is not tied to long-term incentives or your goals. And I think this kind of comes into like how you can wrap this tool into your intentions as a business owner, because so first of all, I guess from the cost of it. So if the business is putting it in there, is it right? Are they able to deduct some of that? Um, and it, cause again, you're mitigating payroll taxes and all these other things from just giving bonuses and actually the net net, of it to the to the employee versus the own to the owner in the company. I think though, you know, when you look at both sides of the equation, it's got to shake out good for everybody. Um, does that make sense? That question. No, absolutely. You know, so the situation where I'm talking about, where the company um, actually
1: uh, owns the benefits, what happens is when they actually do the distribution at the time of retirement, or depending on if they're going to distribute it out to be used to purchase the company. That's when the the deduction, the large deduction, can be had at that point. Um, if the employee owns the business and there is basically bonus or structure going on from there, obviously that's just a deduction from the bonus that you're able to get. So it depends on you mm-hmm. how you structure it, but there are some very advanced techniques that you can use from a split dollar standpoint, where in essence there can be deductions on both sides of it, depending on how it's structured or set up, and um, and that's you know it. Each one can be done a little bit differently on control. But the way to kind of always, the rule of thumb to look at is if the employer or the company owns the money and it's theirs to own, they're not able to take the deduction. If they give it out, then they are able to take the deduction at the, at the beginning. At the point of giving it
0: out, when it comes off the books, right?
1: Yep, exactly. And so now what's unique though, is when the product is growing, remember the insurance is growing uh, deferred over time. So you may have contributed $50,000 into the plan, but now it's worth, 200 and some thousand. Well, when you distribute the money at that point, you're able to realize it based on that. Mm -hmm. So there's, there's Mm -hmm. definitely, you know, over time of growing and building those assets and at distribution, there are larger, you know, strategies that you can look at from a business standpoint. And now at the same time too is if the business does need the money or needs to access it or collateralize against it, there are opportunities because it is money on the books for them, but there is an obligation to um, the employee. So, obviously yeah, so you can use that as
0: assets to take loans against and stuff like that to buy more inventory. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Yep.
1: And that's, that's a huge thing. I mean, that's one area, you know, one company we worked with, um, you know, we did probably, I think there was almost 15 or 20 individuals that ended up doing basically what we're talking about there. And it was a st- substantial amount of money. You know, they were contributing uh, around eight to 10,000 per person per year. And so that ends up being a fairly large number after about six or seven years. You know that that's on the books that they're able to take loans against and and
0: well, borrow here, against that an, they needed. it. Well, and here's an interesting like this is way technical for some people, but like you know a lot of banks have covenants on like how much how many assets you have to have on the books and what you can Absolutely. what you can borrow against. So like there's a lot of people in the copier industry that they'll keep. Shit inventory on the books because they don't want to write it off because it it restricts their <laughs> borrowing capacity. So seriously, yep. like, like, so yep. there's all these shenanigans, and it also impacts the value of your company too. But anyway,s like total total uh, rabbit hole here. But uh, the, going back is the I think the, the the structure. You keep going talking about the structure. I think this is where you and I, the the attorney, like this the the people and the team working on the outcome is so important because. A lot of people that that there's, you said anything can be done because if the company owns it, so the vesting schedule and ideally you'd want to have, let's say it's 250 grand that's in this comp plan. Now, you know how you tie that to the outcome of, okay, you know what? I'm, I'm, I think I'm going to end up selling a portion or, or all of my company in five years. Well, they get 50 grand at closing another X amount over, you know, in six months to help with the integration. And what you're doing is you're literally able to dictate everything you want around that. And I think it's so important to to line that up with what you want. How many times have you seen it where it's just, you look at this and there's no thought behind what's actually out there?
1: Well, I think, Ryan, you bring up a good point because, I mean, one of the big things we see, and I mean, I'm sure you've seen it over the years too, is you've got this key person that wants to eventually buy the business, but they're not putting the money away. They're not you know, getting that initial down payment put away. They may not have the borrowing power to be able to do it. So in essence, you're creating this fund for them that they can eventually use to buy the business. So even though it's, it's money on your books with the idea that you're going to eventually distribute it to that key person, it's really with the idea that you're going to distribute it for them to be able to then buy the business or initially start with a down payment on it. So it's, it's really a neat structure that if you start to recognize somebody early on, um, as being a potential person that could be buying the business, it's a way for you to basically fund them or help them fund themselves to be able to buy it
0: Well, right, right. and I think the coolest part is is like a lot of the a lot of entrepreneurs that you know, as we, try to grow the value of the company, you have to put in the executive team, they're all expensive, they all want equity. So if you can put something like this in place, I think the ideal outcome would be is okay, here's the deal is I'm gonna eventually have to transition of my company. I'm either gonna sell it to a third party, I'm gonna sell it to a private equity firm or sell it to my employees or to my management team. And we're gonna figure that all out. But if you immediately put these in place, it helps probably with the recruiting. But then also you can, let's say you grow a quarter million dollars or half a million bucks, you can tie that to a third-party sale. So you, what happens is all these owners think that they, they get freaked out that their executives are going to leave when they find out they're going to sell. But if you already right. tied part of the 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 asset that you've been building to them, to, you have to transition this and you're going to have to be there for a year if that's the route we go. But you always have a plan B where you've got one to three people that have essentially built the funds as your plan B to buy you out. Absolutely. Yep. Yep. No, that's. I mean, that's a great way to look at it right there. And and I think you bring up
1: a good point too is, I mean, when they do look to sell, everybody starts to bail. And this does definitely give some sticky fingers to keeping them in there. You know, I mean, it really if you've got some funds built up, I mean, before they bail or jump, they really have to think through it with the amount of money that's there that they could lose.
0: So Right. So the, moving on to, you know, let's say we're in a family business. Now this gets even a little bit more complicated. I know for the, the, the time, you know, we don't have to go into a whole long saga about this because it's family business. But, you know, I think, in estate planning, a lot of people kind of have some, maybe some level of experience of how the insurance works in the estate plan, et cetera. But like when you tie in a family business, it's really complicated because, you know, you and I have been working on clients together where you have one individual that's, you know, kicking butt in the business, one person that's just a, an employee. And then you have to, there's, there's so many businesses that don't decouple the actual wages. Versus the family estate. So, can you just, just you know, give us a, a couple you know highlighted overviews of how do you normalize an estate for for kids when you're when you're trying to decouple this stuff? You, you follow what I'm asking?
1: Absolutely, I think so. I, I think you know the big thing is is when you've got kids involved that are you know not not fully involved with the business or maybe not involved with the business whatsoever you know one of the things that is unique with some of the insurance strategies that are out there is it's a way to kind of separate or pull off those individuals uh, from the business so you know I, I think and is this what you're asking? Right. Well, like yeah, no, like no sure.
0: sorry. I was probably wasn't ex- exactly clear. So, you, you let's say let's go back to my own situation. So, if I was running my business and I've got a brother yeah. and a sister, I'm like, okay, wait a second. So, I'm going to increase this company like crazy because I want it. But all of a sudden, my siblings are going to benefit. Screw them. <laughs> and so, what what happens right. is there's in what happens with mom and dad when they die. And how does the how does the value of the company that I built you know double the value of the business? How does that work with my siblings and there's so much conflict that goes on because you haven't laid out how you normalize what everybody gets, but it allowed me to then get what I was trying. I, I reap the rewards of building the value and then they still got part of the estate. Is that is that clear And how I... I see what you're saying. Yeah. So the business is growing and are they involved with the business? Are you saying they're they're not involved in the business or one might be like, you know, let's say it's a warehouse worker, but I'm running, you know, I'm the president. So what happens is it's even though I'm, you know, getting paid for the president's salary and, you know, a sibling might be paid for the warehouse worker. I double the value of the business, but then they get a third of it when I, when mom and dad die, which is just crap. Right? Well, and I think that's the
1: one thing. I mean, we're sitting down with a family kind of going through it and trying to figure out where they're at. I mean, if we can establish before that business grows, um, you know, when the parents pass away or the estate passes on, um, what the value of that is and wh- how they can separate it out. I mean, one of the things we see a ton is, you know, if you've got three kids and one's not involved with it, being able to say, we're, you know, we're going to just do an insurance policy on the parents for this individual. And that's what the value is. That's their part of the, Part of the you know the estate, so mm-hmm. it's basically in essence buys them off, and whatever you've grown the business to because now it's now yours, it allows the parents to say at that point you know that individual no longer has any um, you know inheritance of the business but right. is basically getting paid off on the insurance that's probably the you know family farms um, and, and family businesses, uh, especially with three kids um, is always the one that seems to be the biggest mess and especially family farms because family farms are based on value of land, right? So at death, it's really difficult to figure out the valuation of the business to pay the kids that aren't involved with it. Because the only way to do that is to liquidate the land for the most part, which is never a good thing. I mean, that's where we see a lot of family farms fall apart. So where we see the insurance really coming strong on that is that they look at it and say, right now, the family farm is worth $10 million. And uh, there's three kids involved with it. So what we're going to do is there's only one kid involved with the business right now. Um, the other two have no interest. And, they, and they've stated it. I mean, they've made mm-hmm. it very clear they don't want to have any interest in the business. And so at that point, the parents say, okay, and let's say, Ryan, you're the, the kid working the farm. Ryan, we're going to give you the business 100%. You know, we'll know, work through the transition over you know, to you. It's going to become your business. And whatever you grow it to, it's your animal at that mm-hmm. point. I mean, if you you're... <laughs> yep, it's, if you lose it, it's, you got nothing. If you, you know, do well, then that's that's yours. But with the other kids, then the way it's set up is, boom, you know, they get three million dollars each at the, at death, and that basically separates them from the business at that point. That's mm-hmm. that's usually what we see done. Um, it's very simple and clean. And, I mean, obviously, it doesn't always work that easy. Um, but if the kids are not involved with the business, and then what? You know, the big thing, like you're talking about, is well, what if you turn it into, you know a 30 million dollar farm or a 40 million dollar farm you know what at the end of the day it's a way of kind of separating it with the insurance and the cost is you know obviously very very cheap for what what we're trying to do and it's great in your situation um you know running the farm because now you don't have to worry about trying to figure out how to pay off uh those siblings down the line
0: well and And that right right. it's it's super clean and i think you know even going back into kind of a combo of what we've been talking about, Chris is like, so that's that death. So that's, you know, that's easy where, you know, mom or dad dies and then, you know, the siblings are paid off um, to give me the farm or the business. But, you know, let's say for the business purposes, let's say, well, it's 10 years where I'm now the CEO and I'm driving the value of that business. There's some ways to take your, your key insurance policies or even other insurance policies to essentially start, building the value for the other siblings outside of that so that way you know the the son or myself or the key employee can buy into the business so that way again you know at the time of death you're not having to pay out does that make sense where you're not you, you, there's this this laddering period where you're actually growing the value of the business while the parents are alive but your your siblings are getting equalized along the way
1: Absolutely. Yep. No, that's, that's, you can definitely do that through, you know, like the structures we were talking about before with the key, key mans. I mean, that's one way is by building those assets up for those individuals, either for them, allowing them to, you know, buy, buy into the value more or a way of buying them out too. So, I mean, that's a, it's a way of building it up. And then at the same time, if if that occurs, obviously then, you know, paying them off at that, at, at that time too. And just making it simple for whatever ownership share they may have, small or big, you know, at that point.
0: So as we're kind of wrapping up or getting close to the time here, what, as, as the transaction happens, we kind of talked about how key insurance or key man insurance policies work for the stay bonuses, et cetera. But, you know, you've got a lot of different exit options from third party sales to family transfers to ESOPs and the management bios. You know, what are some of the roles that you've seen insurance play in the actual deal structure, of the transaction? Um, is there unique things that you see that has been happening or what are some of the the, the things that are pretty common out there?
1: Well, I I think the thing is when we're looking at like what we're talking about with these key man structures, being able to build cash. I mean, I think that's one of the biggest things is being able to utilize that to buy out. Um and then obviously um, you know, if there's disability or, you know, long term planning, even with some of these combination life LTC plans, um, as that comes into play. Those are those are all things that can kind of help assist on um, on these. I think one of the things you brought up is the third party too. You know, one of the things we see is if it's a third party that's not associated with the family that's starting to buy the business, um, always the concern is, is as they, you know, transfer the business over to that individual, if something was to happen to that individual that's buying the business, um, you know, in the full transition hasn't taken place yet, and the fact that they've got to replace, how do you buy that person out or utilize the insurance for that? So, depending on the structure uh, that they're moving to, the insurance can, you know, mitigate the risk that if Something was to happen to those individuals that are buying it. And then the same thing around, you know, as they're buying it, if the main owner was to pass away and still had an integral part to the business, um, being able to help move that transition or allow that buyout to happen quicker. So, mm-hmm. you know, one of the things I think, you know, if I was buying a, a business and um, that individual was still running the business and they were contributing a lot over the next five or six years, one of my biggest concerns would be is that if that person died, and the buyout was over the next five years. How do I accelerate that if something was to happen to them? Mm-hmm. And that's where the insurance can be a huge, um, you know, a huge added thing because what would happen then is basically it'd be almost like a buy sell agreement where if that individual passed away, the money would be used to buy the family off and the whole business would transfer to me right away, mm-hmm. which would then allow me to be basically replace that owner and really, you know, him as the key person, um, of the business. So there's you know there's a lot of ways to mitigate the risk. There's a lot of ways to utilize the insurance from a cash standpoint, um, build up to be able to buy out um, individuals or utilize that um, you know to offset the business. So I mean there's just the one thing I think you say with insurance is it really comes down to you can really customize exactly what you're trying to accomplish and what your concerns are. And there's a lot of different ways to to build or grow that. So working with an attorney and usually working with us to try to figure out exactly what they're trying to accomplish or what their concerns are, um, and you know the family dynamics are massive. I mean, as <laughs> the family grows, you know there's, you know there may be a spouse that you know the biggest concern of, of the, the family is is that you know if they transfer to um, you know to one of the children and if that child was to pass away or become disabled, their concern is they don't want the spouse to be running the business or be you know mm-hmm. have that ownership. So. Every family is unique, and what's unique with the insurance is we can customize it to figure out exactly how to satisfy you know those needs at that point.
0: Well, and I think what's really really interesting is as you and I have worked on deals together, and as I look at all these uh, growth and exit plans that we've worked on, is knowing the outcome where you're trying to go, and then obviously the redundant plans. If you do all this stuff ahead of time, then first of all you're you know first of all mitigating your risks should anything happen, you're locking things together, but you're let's say it's a third party transition. I mean, the, the cost and the expenses that you paid along the way literally will you will get the return because your business is gonna be worth more because if I'm a buyer I'm gonna pay more because of how you've locked everybody in and how you set everything up and if you like the example you just gave from an ownership perspective if you've already done all that stuff work ahead of time you're the owner the the, pre, the the new owner the purchaser is gonna pay you more because of what you've done so I think it's so Absolutely. important understanding where you're gonna go so you can it's like a blueprint of a building you come back into all the different products and services and you know as we're wrapping up because what what is like when you when you see the biggest mistakes of not having that big outcome how like is there something that you want to ex- highlight that we've talked about or like how does it just no one does that that is looking at the big picture right what how like what are the big things that people just need to be wary of as they're going through it, whether they get, whether they currently have it right now or they're in the middle of making this decision
1: I think the biggest thing is is that most people buy policies um, early on in life, or are thinking about this, but then they never update it, or look at it, or make sure that it's going to follow the plan that they're they're looking at down the line. So, you know, I think one of the biggest things I come across with companies is that they're fabulous at building the businesses; they've done a great job, you know, from their business. But when we really start to tear apart the insurance that's out there, a lot of it is not going to do what they think it's going to do. And, Mm -hmm. um, and they haven't, you know, they'll, they'll really, I think the one other thing too, is it doesn't need to be extremely difficult either. You know, I think that's the thing is we talked about a lot of, you know, different tough, um, you know, ideas and techniques that we can use with insurance. But the fact is, is most of the time this can be looked at pretty simply on what we're trying to accomplish and do. And we can usually hit the mark somewhat. I mean, I think that's the one thing is everybody's trying to make sure it's like to a T perfect. And I think the biggest thing is, is get something done and just keep working it every year. Um, You know, I I can't tell you how many different plans we've come across over the last even year here where we come in and I mean, it hasn't been looked at for 15 years. Um, You know, they've got insurance plans that are supposed to cover estate taxes and issues that are going to fall apart in their 80s. Um, You know, they haven't talked about long term care planning, which is you know probably one of the largest expenses we're seeing right now for um individuals in their, their 70s and 80s i mean the, the numbers are massive on this so i think the biggest thing is is just reviewing looking at it and um you know coming up with a plan and it doesn't have to be set in stone but at least start with something well, i think one right. of the
0: well and right and like in and i think you know the, the big i actually have a lot of sympathy for the, a lot of all these advisors because if, if the big, what makes it difficult is the owner doesn't know what they want and why. So how are you supposed to like, you know, as a, and I, I go back to the house because as a general, as a, as a, like, let's say you're the electrician, how are you supposed to give advice if there's no blueprint? <laughs> it's like ridiculous. So they need to know where they're going, what their exit options are, why they're going towards something. Cause then you could easily back into a bunch of different scenarios and give them the pros and cons. But if you're in there asking them questions and they don't know how to answer them, then that becomes hard. That's, I mean, you're, you're exactly right. And I mean,
1: that, a lot of it is even um, the family politics too, you know, and even the politics between um, partners. I mean, so I think a lot of times it, it comes down to, we almost become uh, counselors for them, you know, and giving suggestions and giving ideas where they want to head and what they want to do. But you're exactly right. I mean, most of the time, the questions that are asked are, you know, they've never thought about it or they've avoided it. I mean, that's, that's actually probably more than what we see is just the avoiding you know, saying, I'll deal with it down the road. And so I think that's where we come in to say, let's really talk through this and figure out what, what could be the downfalls, what could be the problems or issues, and let's try to figure out a way to solve those those situations for you.
0: Yeah, I I, I love it. So if there's uh, one thing, I, I, we kind of just did it, but if, if there's one last little thing that you want to leave the, the listeners with, what would it be?
1: Review your policies um, on a consistent standpoint because a lot of them aren't, gonna get to the point that you you would think they may are going to go to and i think the thing is is review every year um as your business grows if you've got enough in place um, yeah, and life I,
0: changes and business changes
1: <laughs> oh yeah i mean any change in life you should be looking at this stuff um especially because um it can make all the difference in the world on where your legacy goes and um if the business can stay alive or not um with both the you know the family members and and with
0: the uh, um, just
1: for the employees too.
0: If they're, if the listeners want to get in touch with you, what's the best way?
1: Um, you can just give me a, I, I can give uh, my cell phone here. Um, 612-600-7243, um, or, uh, shoot me an email at CS at MVP service
0: Chris, thanks for coming on the show, man.
1: Thanks a lot. I appreciate it. Have a good
0: one. I really hope you enjoyed that episode with Chris because if there's one big takeaway that you need to come out with is what do you want? What are the different exit options that you want to prioritize and what is your plan B? If it's a third party, how are you keeping your company stable with all the different insurance products should anything happen? How are you locking your key employees in and aligning everybody's motives to where you want to go while also aligning them with your plan B? All of these different products and services can be architected the exact way that you want them to if you know what you want. And as you start to realize, once you know where you're going, then you can have these different tools and mechanisms fall into place. But you also need to have everybody at the table, which is why we do what we do at GEXP, because you have to have the attorney who's drafting all the agreements in line with where you want to go. You have to have the CPA who's running tax calculations for the business and the employee, making sure that all of that's accounted for. You have to have the wealth managers for the key employees, the family, understanding how does this impact the family balance sheet now and in the future, understanding how these different things impact the value of your business in light of your transition plan. And everybody's got to be collaborating in order to optimize the outcome. Otherwise you're going to have gaps and holes all over the place. So I really hope you enjoyed the episode with Chris. If you want more information, go on to our website, gexpcollaborative.com. Otherwise feel free to go the iTunes, give me a rating. Otherwise I will see you next week.